Welcome back to Scriptures with Mom and Terry. I'm the mom, Linda Weiniger, and we are going to be reading in the Bible's Old Testament, Exodus chapters 1 to 6. Um, some things to remember is that the word Exodus means exit. The book of Exodus is a record of the exit of the children of Israel from Egypt. And then the author is Moses. Um for the first five books of the Old Testament, which includes the book of Exodus. And then the themes that they cover are like deliverance, rebellion against God, covenants, faithfulness. And I mean, in Exodus, that's probably what they talk about. But I think, I feel like in Genesis, we could also add like chastity and, um, and forgiveness. So some, let's see. Anything else? I think that's what we're going to read for now. Um, boy, we got this floor. She just all of a sudden started wigging out. All right. And then we have the chapter summary. The children of Israel multiply. They are placed in bondage by the Egyptians. Pharaoh seeks to destroy the sons born to Hebrew women. Okay. So this kind of a sad chapter, but also important in the history. So here we go. Now these are the names of the children of Israel, which came into Egypt. Every man and his household coming with Jacob. I feel like we covered that, but it's fine. We're going to do it again, right? I think that they're trying to repeat to make sure that nobody forgets. So Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad and Asher, and all the souls that came out of the loins of Jacob were 70 souls, for Joseph was in Egypt already. Okay, and Joseph died, and all his brethren, and all that generation. And so remember, because of course, Joseph was second to youngest, so if he died, most likely his brothers passed also. Um, and let's see, so verse 7. And the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly and multiplied and waxed exceedingly and waxed exceeding mighty and the land was filled with them. So here's the new view of the Hebrews. So now there arose up a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. And he said, so this is where things get bad. And he said unto his people, Behold, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come on, let us deal wisely with them, lest they multiply. And it come to pass that when there falleth out any war, they join also unto our enemies and fight against us. And so get them up out of the land. Therefore, they did set over them taskmasters to afflict them with their burdens, and they built for Pharaoh treasure cities, Phytham, or Python and Ramses. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew, and they were grieved because of the children of Israel. And the Egyptians made the children of Israel to serve with rigor, and they made their lives bitter with hard bondage in mortar and in brick, and in all manner of service in the field, all their service wherein they made them serve was with rigor." Okay, so some review. These verses cover about 400 years of time. 
Jacob's family did not leave Egypt after the famine, but had stayed and increased abundantly. Abraham's promise that his posterity would be great was beginning to be fulfilled. The 12 sons of Israel became the 12 tribes of their descendants, and their descendants were aware which son they descended from and would identify by their tribe. As a whole, Jacob's descendants are now known as the children of Israel and the Hebrews, or and the Hebrews. So let's see, then Egypt was a world power and had great wealth and military strength. Because why? Because they didn't disappear during the famine, right? So they were like, everybody came to them for, for stuff because of the famine. So everybody knew how wise and how awesome Egypt was. Um, and so then uh, it says that, you know, the new king came to power and then over 400 years there were there would have been multiple pharaohs since Joseph's day, but many scholars suggest that this phrasing means that it was a pharaoh of a new dynasty or family. This new pharaoh did not hold in remembrance the wonderful things that Joseph had done for Egypt and now saw the Hebrews as a threat to Egypt's future. They could see the Israelites growing and flourishing and wondered what would happen if a foreign power came in and tried to seize control of Egypt. And the Hebrews... Uh, population would, who spoke a different tongue and worshiped their God. Oh, wait, just kidding. And the Hebrews united with the enemy and turned to Egypt, uh, or and turned on Egypt. This new Pharaoh felt vulnerable with a strong population who spoke a different tongue and worshiped their God. The solution to enslave and weaken them, use their strength to build up Egypt. The ancient Jews, Jewish scholar Josephus wrote the following. Now it happened that the Egyptians grew delicate and lazy as to pains painstaking oh hold on oh, it's hard to read when i have a flora <laughs> it's hard to read when i don't have a flora so it's worse when i do hi i did yours talking okay okay what do you, what do you think about this egyptians about these egyptians with the with the new pharaoh what do you think about this new pharaoh tell us does he seem kind of mean? Making everybody work so hard? Yeah. Hard work is hard, huh? For sure. What else? What else? <laughs> the baby, baby. Yeah, what if they had babies? I think they had lots of babies. That's what they were scared of, having lots of babies. <laughs> but we love this baby. Ay, ay, ay. Oh, do you need some water? Sure. Okay, here we go. So this is what he says. Now it happened that the Egyptians grew delicate and lazy as to painstaking and gave themselves up to other pleasures and in particular to the love of gain they also became very ill affected towards the hebrews as touched with envy at their at their prosperity for when they saw how the nation of the israelites flourished and were become eminent already in plenty of wealth which they had acquired by their virtue and natural love of labor they thought their increase was to their own detriment. And having in length of time 
forgotten the benefits they had received from Joseph, particularly the crown being now come on into another family. They became very abusive to the Israelites and, and contrived many ways of afflicting them, for they enjoined they enjoined them to cut a great number of channels for the river and to build walls for their cities and ramparts that they might restrain the river and hinder the its waters from stagnating upon its running over its own banks. They set them also to build pyramids and by all this wore them out and forced them to learn all sorts of mechanical arts and to accustom themselves to hard labor. Ooh, that was like a super long sentence um okay and that was found in josephus antiquities of the jews chapter nine so taskmasters were those set over the hebrews to force them to perform labor their goal was to afflict them with their burdens right some scholars suggest that the hope was to have such severe afflictions that it naturally would decrease the population of the hebrews but to their dismay the more they afflicted them the more they multiplied and grew and they were grieved there are a lot of words and phrases in these few verses that help us understand how cruel the labor was upon the Israelites. Like in verse 13, it says that they were made to serve with rigor. Taskmasters were free to use their rod or lash, and the Egyptian sun was another unrelenting unrelenting factor the hours of work forced upon them were merciless and as verse 14 shows they would conspire ways to make the labor even more difficult upon them there was no mercy upon the israelites as the egyptians forced them to build their treasured cities and monuments to to project their to project their greatness okay so when you go to egypt and you visit because you want to because it's amazing we can now know that it was the Israelites who built those amazing pyramids um, and who were made to suffer all those things so that those Egyptians would look good. So if anybody asks, we make Egyptians look good. You know what I mean? Um so, but we also helped to preserve their lives. Like without Joseph, they all would have died, you know? So, and it's interesting to kind of read things. Um, like when I look stuff up in history, like how Joseph doesn't really even exist over there. Like there's not very much information about the fact that he was there. So um, it's a little bit sad. Um, I did read something I can't, I can't, don't quote me on it, but I read something somewhere that there was a, um, a burial location somewhere or like a tunnel somewhere in Egypt and the tunnel had a, um, had like a statue and they just discovered the statue. And anyway, it looked like the statue, like everything was in place except the statue had been destroyed and, based on like some of the markings it looks like it was a statue of joseph um but again i don't know you'd have to google it and maybe if you want to research that kind of stuff more you can become an archaeologist or something i don't know what it would be called <laughs> anyway i think that that would be kind of a cool movie to find joseph could be that's what it could be called um 
Anyway, so kind of like National Treasure, you know, um, the movie. Okay, so let's see, verse 15. And the king of Egypt spake to the Hebrew midwives, of which the name of the one was Shipra, and the name of the other, Pua. Sounds like Pua could have been from the, the Samoa or something, you know, um, or from Hawaii. And he said, when ye do the office of a midwife to the Hebrew women and see them upon the stools, if it be a son, then ye shall kill him. But if it be a daughter, then she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not as the king of Egypt commanded them but saved the men children alive. <laughs> yeah, because we're mothers. We're not going to kill a baby. I mean, I guess nowadays women do. And that's really sad because that's called the abortion stuff. You know, but at least they had they had that um, going for them, you know, where they didn't do that. Even the Egyptians didn't do that. And the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said unto them, Why have ye done this thing and have saved the men children alive? And the midwife said unto Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not as the Egyptian women, for they are lively and are delivered ere and are delivered ere the midwives come in unto them. So like that basically means the Hebrew women were strong and could deliver their own babies. They didn't even need help. Um, and so they would they were already delivered by the time that the midwives by the time that the Egyptian midwives would come in, which is awesome. Um, because they didn't need any help. Now Definitely us Israelite women nowadays need a little bit more help <laughs> than back then. But again, I'm not out there building, you know, Egyptian um, pyramids. So I haven't, you know, I don't, I don't work out as much as those ladies did. And so, of course, they were strong enough to be delivered, to deliver their babies. Okay, so therefore, 20. Therefore God dealt with them, or therefore God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and waxed very mighty. And it came to pass, because the midwives feared God, that he made them houses. Oh. And Pharaoh charged all his people, saying, Every son that is born ye shall cast into the river, and every daughter ye shall save alive. Dude, this Pharaoh is seriously so mean. So I love this, um, that President Russell M. Nelson gave a talk in 1987. It talks, uh, it's titled Lessons from Eve. And he talks about the importance of our righteous influence as women. He says, we can't all do all things. Circumstances, available time, and talents vary widely among us. Your diversities take you to numerous arenas of activity. There, let your presence be felt. Your foes in a sordid society demean the sacredness of women and the sanctity of motherhood. Your world, sickened by unchastity and plagued with sexually transmitted disease, needs your righteous example. For the wrath of God is provoked by governments that sponsor gambling, condone pornography, or legalize abortion. These forces serve to denigrate women now, just as they did in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. You can, you must make a difference. You are vital to the Lord's team, one team with one purpose. Through your diversity, build strength in unity, bind yourselves together in all holiness, anchor yourself to the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. 
Okay, see, and I love that he talks about us as women joining forces together against these kinds of governments. And that's kind of what those women, um, those Egyptian women did. They bound themselves together against Pharaoh because they didn't obey his command to kill the babies at first. I don't know if they he was threatening enough threatening them enough to to do it later so we'll see but um anyway so this is what this is what they um let's keep reading but this is what it it has some commentary here um oh and that talk was given in uh october 1987 right so again lessons from eve it's a great talk Okay, um, in an effort to slow the population growth, the Pharaoh commanded the Hebrew midwives to kill every Israelite baby boy that was born, but they refused to follow this order because they feared God, good, and they revered life, you know, they had reverence for life. To disobey the Pharaoh's direct command would have been incredibly brave, so so brave their actions have been preserved here for thousands of years, and the Lord blessed them for their courage Many scholars have suggested that these women may have been Egyptian midwives set over the Hebrew women. The text can be interpreted either way. It can mean Hebrew midwives or midwives to the Hebrews. Josephus also also wrote that the king's cruel declaration to kill male babies was more than just for population control, but that he had heard a prophecy of a baby being born to the Israelites who would deliver them. Okay, and that's very... uh, that's pretty much the exact same thing that happened in Jerusalem when Herod, remember King Herod, ordered all the baby boys to be killed under the age of two or something like that. And so, you know, these stories in the Old Testament typify of Christ and you see like a lot of similarities um, of Christ's life in these uh, scripture. So it's kind of awesome to see the different, um, the different examples of how, I don't know, like of how you can see Christ in so many things and how, um, this too was something that was preserved because it was important. Um, Okay, and then Josephus also says, about this time, there would be a child born to the Israelites who, if he were, if he were reared, would bring the Egyptian domination, or would bring the Egyptian dominion low and would raise the Israelites, that he would excel all men in virtue and obtain a glory that would be remembered through all ages, which thing was so feared by the king that according to this man's opinion, he commanded that they should cast every male child which was born to the Israelites into the river and destroy it. Oh, that would be so sad. Um, there's like an artist here um, that drew a picture of this and it's called Hebrew mothers with their babies in front of Pharaoh who intends to kill them. Uh, and it's by Jalal al-Din Rami Mulana, 1663. Anyways, it's a sad picture okay so now we're back now we're in exodus chapter two and the chapter summary says moses is born to levite 
to Levite parents, is raised by Pharaoh's daughter, slays an Egyptian in defense of an Israelite, flees to Midian, and marries Zipporah, Israel in bondage, cries to the Lord. Okay. And there went a man of the house of Levi and took a wife, a daughter of Levi. Um, And so they just like to identify their tribes, right? And the woman conceived and bare a son. The son is Moses. And when she saw him, that he was a goodly child, she hid him three months. Of course, her child is goodly and so cute. Like who's going to, you know, want to kill their baby? Nobody. Um, And when she could no longer hide him, she took for him an ark of bulrushes and daubed it with slime and with pitch and put the child therein and she laid it in the flags by the river's brink. Oh, this is like so heart-wrenching because, you know, with us struggling with infertility, to give up your baby boy, like I would just, I would be mama bear you know what I mean like fighting peeps I'd be like I'm just gonna move I will hike out and go somewhere like I don't need to live here you know um but maybe they didn't have that option I don't know and his sister stood afar off to wit to wit what would be done with him so she was witnessing what would be done with him and okay so this is like also one of my favorite stories too because it's Moses And the daughter of Pharaoh came down to wash herself at the river and her maidens walked along by the river, by the river's side. And when she saw the ark among the flags, she sent her maid to fetch it. And when she had opened it, she saw the child and behold, the babe wept and she had compassion on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews children. Then said his sister to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call thee a nurse of the Hebrew women? that she may nurse the child for thee. And this is where Moses's mother gets to come in. And Pharaoh's daughter said to go, said to her, go. And the maid went and called the child's mother. Not that she knew, okay, that it was the child's mother. Um, the Pharaoh's daughter said unto her, take this child away and nurse it for me, and I will give thee thy wages. And the woman took the child and nursed it. And she got paid. <laughs> That's nice. <laughs> I didn't get paid. I mean, you know, we had to spend money, but I'd rather do that than have to figure out how to hide it, um, how to hide my children. Okay, number 10. And the child grew, and she brought him unto Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And she called his name Moses, and she said, because I drew him out of the water. Okay, that was crazy and that was brother trotter waking up flora because frodo started barking and then she was about to fall back asleep but then she didn't and i'm so sad but anyway she's awake and we're just reading i guess and i don't even remember where i was at <gasps> okay i'm at verse 11 okay so we're reading the commentary exodus Chapter 2, from 1 to 10, it says, We are introduced to a faithful couple who were both descendants of Levi. The ancient Jewish scholar Josephus tells us the names of Moses' parents, Amram and Jochebed, and he explained that the way they chose to protect their baby boy was full of faith and revelation. Imagine giving birth in such a time as this. These women would not know 
if they were going to deliver a boy or a girl. So imagine that moment when you learn that the baby is a boy and his fate was death. Oh man, like to carry the baby. Of course, it had to be a man that came up with this idea to carry the baby for nine months and then be like, so excited to be with your baby. And then bam, like it's a boy. So you're going to have to kill it. What? Like, no, sorry. (laughs) No man is going to dictate how I get to uh, raise my baby and I'm not going to kill it. Um, So it's sad that we allow um, governments to do that for us these days. And they try to convince us that it's our choice. Well, but yeah, but you chose first. So let's be honest. Whose choice was it really? Okay, because if, anyways, education is key here. And you just need to educate all the women to know about who they are and where they come from and that they're loved and that everything will work out no matter what. And when you educate women on their babies and the stages of their babies, then they don't make unwise decisions. There's so many sad stories of women who have aborted their babies without knowing what that even meant because they were so young and so uneducated. And, and then they regretted it so many years later and have lived with that guilt and pain for so long. So yeah, like don't go there. Okay, a life is a life, and whether it's living inside of you or outside of you, do not kill it. Okay, a man whose name was, okay, so this is um, from Josephus. It says, a man whose name was Amram, one of the nobler sort of the Hebrews, was afraid for his whole nation, lest it should fail by the want of young men to be brought up hereafter. Also, Josephus wrote in like super crazy language, super scriptural language. So of course I'm struggling to read his things. But okay, going back. And was very uneasy at it, his wife being then with child and he knew not what to do. Hereupon he betook himself to prayer to God. Accordingly, God had mercy on him and was moved by his supplication. He stood by him in his sleep and exhorted him not to despair of his future favors for that child out of the out of out of dread of whose nativity the egyptians have doomed the israelite children to destruction shall be this child of thine and shall be concealed from those who watch to destroy him and when he is brought up in a surprising way he shall deliver the hebrew nation from the distress they are under from the egyptians His memory shall be famous while the world lasts, and this not only among the Hebrews, but foreigners also, all which shall be the effect of my favor to thee and to thy posterity. He shall also have such a brother that he shall himself obtain my priesthood, and his posterity shall have it after him to the end of the world. When the vision had informed him of these things, Amram awaked and told it to Jochebed, who was his wife the mother labor the mother's labor was not er, who was his wife okay i guess dot 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 the mother's labor dot 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 was not known to those that watched her but the easiness of her pains and because of and because the throes of her de- delivery did not fall upon her with violence <laughs> oh 
Okay, so she didn't have like a hard labor, so that's good. It was super easy. And now they nourish the child at home privately for three months. So they quarantine themselves. Nice move. But after that time, Amram, fearing he should be discovered and by falling under the king's displeasure, both he and his child should perish. So he should make the promise of God of none effect. He determined rather to entrust the safety and care of the child to God than to depend on his own concealment of him. But he believed that God would some way for certain procure for certain, procure the safety of the child in order to secure the truth of his own predictions. When they had thus determined, they made an ark of bulrushes after the manner of a cradle and of a bigness sufficient for an infant to be laid in without being too straightened. Then they daubed it over with slime, which would naturally keep out the water from entering between the bulrushes. Naturally, like naturally keep out. That's fun whatever that ingredient was. I don't know, but slime does not naturally normally do that. (laughs) Do not try to make a basket and throw slime in it. (laughs) I'm just imagining so many people's crafts um, trying to do slime, but that might be a good craft project for kids, you know, to see if it actually works and put the infant into it and setting it afloat upon the river. They left its preservation to God. Oh man, that would be like the worst ever as a parent to be like here's my baby in the river like what (sighs) because they knew that it was going to be discovered like oh my heart just like be so hard a three-month-old and specifically like the dad too like at least the mom got to be with the baby it says but what about dad he wouldn't get to raise him as his own that'd be so hard because i find joy when i see your dad with each of you especially when you were babies that always brought me so much joy and to take that away from a father It's just so hard. Well, let's see. So God preserved Moses through... Okay, so that was the end of Josephus' thing. Antiquities of the Jews, chapter (sighs) 9. Says, God preserved Moses through the ark made of bulrushes, but before the ark, righteous parents had the truth revealed to them that they acted in faith. The act... The child was placed exactly where he needed to be, where the Pharaoh's daughter would find him, and set. And she then took the child as her own, ironically bringing the very child that Pharaoh was fearing. And Moses would learn all about the ways of the Egyptians, preparing him for the mission that was in the future, in his future. And Pharaoh's daughter must have struggled with infertility, because how would you, just? want a baby you know like a lot of women these days who are single especially if you're in like the and i you know i know that this might be a little i don't know what it's called when when you're making like generalizations anyway um 
But like Pharaoh's daughter obviously had everything and she didn't know anything about being a mother, right? She just knew about being a Pharaoh's daughter. And I'm guessing that she didn't have to lift a finger because she had so many people who were caring after her. Um, But the fact that she was willing to take a baby after she knew of the command from her dad to kill all the boys, you know, um, it would have been something for sure courageous of her to do as well. But in order for her to have the courage to do that, she would have had to have gone through something herself in order to have like that desire to want a baby like that. Um, and to take any baby, you know, like (laughs) there's a difference between wanting your own baby and wanting any baby. Um, and you have to get to that point to want any baby. And in order to get to that point, you must have first wanted your own. I'm imagining because of the way that I've gone through infertility. So I'm just, you know, just scriptural scriptures from mom, you know, um, so because of infertility, I have gotten to the point where I would love to have another, like somebody else's baby to care for. Like that would, I think, like I would adopt a child. I think that would be so cool. And I think that would be so sweet, you know, um, but not everybody is there. And so that it's just something that each person has to get to. And I'm guessing that because she was there, it was because she had struggled with infertility herself. And obviously we don't know. Um, But the fact that she uh, would have done that um, makes sense that she struggled with infertility because, you know, you're willing to do that at that point. Um, Anyway, okay, so verse 11, and it came to pass that in those days when Moses was grown, that he went out unto his brethren and looked on their burdens, and he spied an Egyptian smiting an Hebrew, one of his brethren, and he looked this way and that way, and when he saw that there was no man, he slew the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. (laughs) Okay, Moses, good job. And when he went out the second day, behold, two men of the Hebrews strove together. And he said to him that did the wrong, wherefore smitest thou thy fellow? And he said, who made thee a prince and a judge over us? Intendest thou to kill me as thou killedest the Egyptian? And Moses feared and said, surely this thing is known. Now when Pharaoh heard this thing, he sought to slay Moses. But Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. Okay, a lot of of time has passed, right, between that. Um, Because Moses grew up, you know. He wouldn't have been able to slay, like, uh, an Egyptian um, guard if he was little. So he was grown. Okay, um... Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to the water, to water their flock, their father's flock. And the shepherds came and drove them away. But Moses stood up and held them, helped them, and watered their flock. And when they came to Ruel, their father, he said, "How is it that ye are come so soon today?" And they said, "An Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds, and also drew water enough for us and watered the flock." And he said unto his daughters, And where is he? Why is it 
that ye have left the man. Call him that he, that he may eat bread. <laughs> nice. And Moses was content to dwell with the man. And he gave Moses Zipporah, his daughter. And she bare him a son, and he called his name Jershom. For he said, I have been a stranger in a strange land. And it came to pass in the process in process of time that the king of Egypt died, and the children of Israel sighed by reason of the bondage. And they cried, and their cry came up unto God by reason of the bondage. <clears throat> okay, so Moses is now grown, and he went unto the, his brethren. It never says that Moses did not know his own background. The Pharaoh's daughter could have been very open with Moses about his heritage, and if he had any contact with his family, he was likely told of his mission that had been revealed to his parents. It says in verse 11 that Moses noticed how his people were being treated, and he looked on their burdens. So Moses was seeing, do you see how Flora's crying now? Uh, Moses was seeing what was being done to them, and he saw one of the taskmasters smiting in Hebrew one of his brethren. The Old Testament seminary teacher manual explains that the translation for slew is one used in military suggestion that Moses slayed a man who was slaying another man. This event spread quickly, and Moses was then forced to flee Egypt and came upon the land of Midian, which was the perfect place for him to be. The Midianites were descendants of Abraham through his wife, Keturah. Therefore, in Midian, the priesthood was found. So, and that's from the Joseph Fielding Smith Church History and Modern Revelation uh, book. And Moses married the priest of Midian's daughter, and her name was Zipporah. It was here that Moses received the priesthood for John Widstow taught Moses received the priesthood from Jethro in Midian. And that's from Evidences and Reconciliations book. And now Moses was being further prepared for the mission God had for him. Okay. So let's read uh, verses 24 to 25. And God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel, and God had respect unto them. We're on Exodus chapter 3. The Lord appears to Moses at the burning bush. Moses is called to deliver Israel from bondage. The Lord identifies himself as God of Abraham, as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And as the great I am, he promises to smite Egypt and bring his people out with great wealth. Verse 1, now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even Horeb. Okay, just to FYI, his father-in-law was also known as Ruel, so I think it just depends on the translation of the people that you were talking to, um, of his name. So, you know, kind of like if you have um, James here in the United States, his name is James, but in Brazil, his name is Chiago. And that's just weird, <laughs> but that's how it is. Um, so we're going to keep, we're going to keep reading. So just know that that's him. Um, verse two, and the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked and behold, the bush burned with fire and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see God, to see God called him, called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. 
And he said, Draw not nigh hither. Put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Okay, um, that's kind of symbolic of temple grounds, temple worship. Um, and in the Joseph Smith translation, it says that Exodus chapter 3, verse 2, where it says, And the angel of the Lord appeared, it's it's more like the presence of the Lord. Um so yeah and then let's see so some commentary here it says Moses went from living in the palace to caring for Jethro's flocks but we need not suppose that he had lived a sheltered life but rather had gained great skill in his youth in fact Josephus reports that Moses had at one point been the general of the Egyptian army wow that's pretty awesome so he wrote Thermuthis was the king's daughter. Now Moses's understanding became superior to his age, nay, far beyond that standard. And when he was taught, he discovered greater quickness of apprehension than was usual at his age. The Ethiopians, who are next next neighbors to the Egyptians, made an inroad into their country. God had given the Egyptians this counsel to make use of Moses, the Hebrew, and take his assistance. The king commanded his daughter to produce him that he might be the general of their army. So Moses, at the persuasion both of Thermuthis, his adopted mom, right, and the king himself cheerfully undertook the business. So this was found in the Antiquities of the Jews, chapter 9 and 10. So if Josephus is correct, Josephus was born around 37 AD and was a priest scholar and historian about, priest scholar and historian. So if he was correct about Moses, then we should understand that this Moses, who was now watching the priests of Midian's sheep, once led the great Egyptian army and led them successfully. He was a highly capable man who was now living a very different life, but now he had the priesthood. Wouldn't it be wonderful? Wouldn't it be a wonderful thing to have a conversation with Moses about this? Yeah, like that would be so cool. Moses had the sheep at Horeb, which will later be associated with Mount Sinai. While there, he observed that seeming that seemingly a bush was burning but it was not burning up. So he went to see it closer. And then the presence of the Lord appeared to Moses. The bush, therefore, was a fact, not a fire, but it was the glory of the Lord. And Moses was seeing on Mount Horeb. Wait, let's see. But it was the glory of the Lord that Moses. Okay, here we go. The bush, therefore, was in fact not a fire, but it was the glory of the Lord that Moses was seeing on Mount Horeb. As President Kimball taught, says, it is said that certain Russian flyers reported that as they penetrated the far outer space, they saw no God nor angels. Our prediction to any unbelieving godless spaceman is that though they they could go a thousand times farther and a thousand times higher, that they will be be still farther from God and eternal things for the spiritual is not understood by the finite. Abraham found God on a tower in Mesopotamia on a mount in Palestine and in royal quarters in Egypt. Moses 
found him on a backside desert at a Red Sea on a mount called Sinai and in a burning bush. Joseph Smith found him in the cool freshness of a primeval forest and on a hill called Cumorah. Peter found him at the Sea of Galilee and on the Mount of Transfiguration. President Spencer W. Kimball, April 1970, General Conference. Oh, that just makes me want to ask, where have you found the Lord? The Lord called to Moses and told him to put off thy shoes from off thy feet for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. What was before a bush in the wilderness was now a holy and sacred place, for the Lord was there and divine instruction was given. President Reuben J. Clark reminded us that our homes are holy like this spot in the wilderness. He said, I think that in every Latter-day Saint home, the spirit of the Lord is is a flaming, non-consuming fire. There's no light or there to light our way, to guide us, to protect us, and to help us do our duty and every inch of space in that home is holy ground. We should never forget it. Always remember and always live so that we shall not defile it in any way. The holiness of the home which should be ours. President J. Reuben Clark, October 1951 General Conference. Okay, so we're now on verse 6. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid and t- to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people, which are in Egypt, and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. Okay, so something I really liked from talking scriptures is they said there's three things that the Lord can see our affliction and that he knows our sorrow, but that because of the covenants that we made, he has promised to deliver us from those, um, from those afflictions. Um, it doesn't, he doesn't promise that we're going to live an affliction free life, but he does promise that he will deliver us and, um, I, I just love that. And so just kind of keep that in mind with these scriptures. I feel like, I mean, I need to underline these and put them somewhere so I can remember them. And, and so number eight, and I come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land unto a good land and a large, unto a land flowing with milk and honey unto the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jeshubites, or sorry, Jubicites, Jubicites, that looks, this is more like a website, <laughs> okay, um, the, I guess Can- the place of the Canaanites is the promised land. So therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel is come unto me, and I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people and the children of Israel out of Egypt. And Moses said unto God, Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh, that I, and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, Certainly I will be with thee, and this shall be a token unto thee that I have seen, that I have sent thee when thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt. Ye shall serve God upon this mountain. And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come 
unto the children of Israel, and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers has sent me unto you. <sighs> and they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? Again, he's like, um, they're going to be like, who's this guy? And what do you want me to tell him? <laughs> Which is so cute because it makes sense. You know, sometimes when the Lord sends us to do something, it's like, no, no, I want to be ready. Can you tell me what, what I need to do? I need the play-by-play. And sometimes your dad um, actually helps me with this because I'm like, um, I need to do this, but I need to say something. And he's like, well, here's what you can say. And then I'm like, okay, I need to write that down verbatim. <laughs> so I bet that this is what he's trying to do. Cause Moses didn't really feel like he was really good at public speaking. And so he's like, I'm going to talk to people and you want me to say what? So Moses says, and or, and God said, it's actually verse 14. God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shall thou say unto the children of Israel, I am, hath sent me unto you. And God said, moreover, unto Moses, thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of, God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob hath sent me unto you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial unto all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say unto them, the Lord, of God, the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and Jacob, appeared unto me, saying, I have surely visited you and seen that which is done to you in Egypt." And so he was like telling him multiple times, like, this is what you got to say and go and tell them. <laughs> so I think it's pretty awesome that Moses needed a little bit of help on what to say, because it's hard to figure out what to what to say to a bunch of people like that don't even know him. Or maybe they do know him and they know him as like an Egyptian leader. And so they're going to be like, who's this guy now all of a sudden, you know? Or who knows, maybe now he's not clean shaven and so he has a bunch of facial hair. So they don't want to even recognize him as an Egyptian leader. Maybe they just recognize him as some random dude. So, and I only assume that he has facial hair because the Egyptians were the ones that did really well with their cleaning. And um, they always had to be clean shaven and like they liked to do that. That was like their tradition, I guess. And the Israelites, they didn't, I mean... They didn't care about that stuff as much because they were always out um, doing like labor out in the field and stuff. And I think like facial hair is supposed to like help keep you cool. I don't I don't know. I'm just inventing stuff now. So maybe I'll just keep sticking to the commentary. But I believe that that they just didn't have as many resources um, like the Israelites didn't have as many resources to like keep themselves clean whereas the Egyptians had all those maids and servants and things so anyway maybe that's what it is okay um some commentary the Lord then called Moses to deliver the Israelites from Egypt back to their promised land Moses who had been raised in the palace and possibly served as the army general would have had a very intimate knowledge of what this meant <sighs> so in verse 11 Oh, and you know what? Th this verse 11 actually is also the scripture of the day that Finn read today in the car. And it was pretty cool. So it says, who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh? Out of all the Hebrews, Moses. So who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh? And that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt, right? Don't we all ask that question when we have something that's kind of big? Um, we just like, who am I that I should do all these things? And I really love the 
uh, thing that Marianne, hold on, let me see if I can find her quote. Here we go. It's from Marianne Williamson. And it's our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? Right? And it's just supposed to be like an awesome, encouraging quote and statement to kind of remind us like, Satan is the one that's trying to play you down and the Lord heavenly father is they're trying to and the spirit are trying to play you up and they're trying to help you remember who you are so that you can continue to do the lord's work and continue to um live to your full potential whereas that's not what the adversary wants he wants us to play small and he wants us to be small he wants us to feel like we're nobody and nothing and so i really like that quote from marianne because it's just a good reminder um and she's not a member of the church so it's kind of nice to see that other people have been inspired to share the same message that you know that we are children of God. And, you know, if you continue to read her quote, she does talk about that, but, um, it's just awesome. It's a good, encouraging quote. Um, and so, but it's, it's also comforting to know that even Moses, like the great prophet Moses, who parted the Red Sea, felt inadequate to do a job that the Lord asked him to do. And luckily I haven't ever been asked to part the Red Sea, but sometimes it feels like I am when there's certain things that I'm asked to do, you know what I mean? And so um, I just love that the Lord comforts Moses and says in the following verse, certainly I will be with thee and this shall be a token unto thee that I have sent thee when thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt, ye shall serve God upon this mountain. So like, you're going to see that when you finally, when, when you deliver the, them out of Egypt, you're going to see. And when you see, you can use that as a token, like as proof that you were able to bring forth the people out of Egypt. And that it's also further proof that he wasn't alone, that the Lord is with him. And it just kind of, it's, it, it kind of reinforces the fact that like when you experiment upon the word, you get conclusions and the conclusion is that the lord is always with you no matter what you do and whithersoever thou goest he is there and he wants to be there for us um and so god is trying to reinforce this message like and i love that they chose um to preserve this story of moses and his experience because we all need his experience to remind us that we can do hard things and that we're capable of the impossible as long as we know that the Lord is with us. Okay, so um Okay, so then he says that certainly I will be with thee. And so Moses knew that if he went to the Israelites, they would want to know the name of the God that commanded this thing. So Moses asked what he should tell the Israelites and the Lord answered. And the Lord's answer was, I am that I am. Now, if somebody were to say that to me, I'd be like, what? <laughs> so maybe Moses was a little bit like confused. Like, you want me to tell him that you are that you are? 
And he probably knew what that meant. Whereas I'm like so confused. I'm like, really? That's what I'm going to tell him? So then it says um, this Old Testament Old Testament seminary, seminary teacher manual, lesson 45, says the Hebrew word for the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is Yahweh, a word rendered in English as Jehovah. The name is linked to the verb to be and thus to the expression I am. Hence, one of the names of God of the God of the ancients is I am. Hebrew scholars have thus suggested that Jehovah is he who was and is, he who causes or brings into being. God is eternal and not created by man, as were the gods of the day. The Israelites came to reverence this name and to emphasize because of its sacred nature that it speak it was that to speak it was blasphemous. Once the tabernacle was built, only the high priest was allowed to speak the name of the Holy of Holies, or was allowed to speak the name in the Holies of Holies, the Holy of Holies, on the annual day of atonement. Whenever the name I am or Jehovah occurs in the Old Testament, Old Testament's Hebrew text, it is almost always rendered as Lord. In the New Testament, a group of Jews sought to kill Jesus because he said, before Abraham was, I am. This New Testament reference confirms that Jesus Christ is Jehovah, the God of the Old Testament. And I think it's powerful. Um, I don't know if I've ever told you guys, um, when we say affirmations to ourselves, we usually use the beginning statement of I am. And there's a lot of power in affirmations because we declare, we're declaring who we are. And um, not only are we declaring who we are that way, but we're also declaring whose we are when we do that. And so that's why I think the adversary also makes us feel really inadequate when we try to say um, I am statements because not only is it helping us to remember who we are, but it also helps to remind us whose we are because it takes us back to the Lord. And when we recite those affirmations as I am this, it's like the reason that we are this is because of who he is, the original I am. And, and so it is with reverence that we speak those affirmations and that that's why those affirmations have that power that comes with them that can help us in our lives to remind us who who we are and whose we are so i love i love that i am um i love that the lord is i am um yeah. So number 17, and I have said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt unto the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites unto a land flowing with milk and honey. And they shall hearken to thy voice and thou shalt come thou and thou 
and the elders of Israel unto the king of Egypt, and ye shall say unto him, The Lord God of the Hebrews hath met with us, and now let us go, we beseech thee, three days' journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. And I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go, no, not by my might, wait, and I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go, no, not by a mighty hand. And I will stretch out my hand and smite Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in the midst thereof. And after that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And it shall come to pass that when ye go, ye shall not go empty. But every woman shall borrow of her neighbor and of her that sojourneth in her house jewels of silver and jewels of gold and raiment. And ye shall put them upon your sons and upon your daughters, and ye shall spoil the Egyptians." Okay, so Moses was not just to go straight to Pharaoh, but was to gather the elders of Israel together and tell them of what the Lord had said. Moses was to be a mouth, the mouthpiece of the Lord to the elders of Israel. He was to tell them that the Lord is going to bring the Israelites out of Egypt and unto a land flowing with milk and honey. However, the Lord knew that the king of Egypt would not let them go. So the Lord will do all my wonders, right? This was going to be a process, but in the end, the Lord would deliver Israel from bondage. Dude, and this is the hard process. Like sometimes we don't want to do what the Lord asks us to do. Now I'm talking about in being in Pharaoh's spot, right? Uh, because I know the story, right? And the Lord has to try and convince him in many ways. Anyway, so... Sometimes we don't want to do what the Lord asks of us, and he has to send multiple ways of sending those messages to us. And if we don't act, eventually there's going to be like a super duper bad consequence. So you're going to learn about that consequence soon, I'm sure. Um, Okay, so we're on Exodus chapter 4. And we need to go deliver a child to his soccer practice. (laughs) Okay, and we are back. We... I was listening to the Talking With Scriptures podcast and they mentioned something really awesome about waiting on the Lord and how the Lord um, helps us with with our problems, but not maybe when we want them to. And anyway, so I found the quote that I was hoping to read um, and it's from a talk titled Room in the Inn from Elder Gong, and he says that waiting faithfully upon the Lord for his blessings is a holy position. It must not be met with pity, patronizing, or judgment, but instead with sacred honor. In the meantime, we live now, not waiting for life to begin. Hi. Hello. I almost knocked over a sweet little hello. Oh, no. She was right at the door waiting for me. Yeah. She heard you were coming. Um, and then it says, Isaiah promises, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary and they shall walk and not faint. So I wanted to make sure we read that because I had been thinking about that before I moved on to chapter four in Exodus. So we're now in chapter four. And we're so excited that dad was able to come visit because Flora needed a visit from dad. She didn't want to take a nap, so... Anyways, here we are.
boy. I'm mixed up. Okay. The Lord gives signs to Moses. Aaron is chosen as a spokesman. Israel is the Lord's firstborn and must be released to serve him. Moses's son is circumcised. Moses and Aaron lead Israel in worship. Okay. And, and verse one, and Moses answered and said, but behold, they will not believe me nor hearken unto my voice for they will say the Lord hath not appeared unto thee. And the Lord said unto him, what is that in thine hand? And he said, a rod. And he said, cast it on the ground. And he cast it on the ground and it became a serpent. And Moses fled from before it. And the Lord said unto Moses, put forth thine hand and take it by the tail. And he put forth his hand and caught it, and it became a rod in his hand, that they may believe that the Lord that the Lord God of their fathers and the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob hath appeared unto thee. Dude, that would be so wicked. Like, such a cool experience. Also, what I love is that he tested his method of proving... Um, to Moses that he could that not only could Moses do it but that the Lord could do it through Moses by using like doing like a sample you know kind of it's like this is a sample of what we're gonna do and then you're gonna do it in real life and that's like a cool pattern to to follow like if you're not sure that something's gonna work out for you test it out like sometimes you get nervous to give talks or at least I get nervous when I give talks and so wouldn't it be awesome to test your talk out on somebody and then you'll know how it goes and then you can make changes if you need to or at least then you would have more peace knowing that it's like gonna be okay after you share your talk you know so um anyway I like that pattern that he shows us here in these scriptures okay and then verse six and the Lord said furthermore unto him put now thine hand into thy bosom and he put his hand into his bosom, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous as snow. Ooh, that would be weird. And he said, hold on. Okay, and then in verse 7, and he said, put thine hand into thy bosom again. And he put his hand into his bosom again, and plucked it out of his bosom. And behold, it was turned again as his other flesh. And it shall come to pass, if they will not believe thee, neither hearken to the voice of the first sign, that they will believe the voice of the latter sign. Like you would think that they would, right? And it shall come to pass, if they will not believe also these two signs, neither hearken unto thy voice, that thou shalt take of the water of the river and pour it upon the dry land, and the water which thou takest out of the river shall become blood upon the dry land. So these are the plagues that they are referencing here. But this is like beforehand. So the Lord's giving Moses a preview of what the plagues are going to be. But I don't think Moses quite realized maybe the intensity of the plagues either. Um, But it's interesting to note that he got a preview of it before he presented it as like a threat. Um, or I guess a consequence if they don't release the Israelites. Um, here's some commentary. It says, Moses was concerned that the people would not believe him and say that the Lord had not appeared unto him. This was a wise concern because the Israelites needed a really compelling reason to believe that the Egyptians who had been relentlessly afflicting them 
would just let them go. They Plus, these were people that were working for them. So it's like, why would you want to, like, get rid of your employees? Like, not even employees. They were slaves. So why would you get rid of slaves? Because then you have to do the work, right? So they knew that the Egyptians wanted their magnificent cities built, and they needed the Hebrew labor to do that. The Lord then gave Moses a series of signs and miracles. Little did Moses know that that was just a small taste of the miracles that were yet to be manifested. Right? First, the Lord told Moses to cast his shepherd, shepherd rod upon the ground, and as Moses did, the rod became a serpent. Not only did this sign give undeni- undeniable proof, but it also foreshadowed what Moses' rod would bring to Egypt. Many miracles would flow forth that would be harsh on the Egyptians. Mm. Likewise, the leper's hand would say would the leper's hand would have shown that God was capable of punishing and saving. In that day, leprosy was viewed as incurable, but God's powers are greater than man's understanding. Then finally, if the Israelites would still not accept those two miracles, then take of the water of the river and was the next one because it would become blood. The Nile River was a life-giving source for Egypt and it was reverenced by the people. The sign would show that Moses was more powerful than the Egypt and it than Egypt and its gods. All of these signs together show that the Lord is truly the great I am. He is real and nothing is too great for the Lord. And I love that talking scripture peeps went into this a little bit and they said that the way that they wrote it was to try and show that like Egyptian gods were just idols in were just idols and they were just worshiping like things whereas god the lord god like was actually a god and so they were he was so the lord was trying to show the egyptians like look you guys are not worshiping the right things right and so it was like a battle and so they're trying to um portray this battle between egyptian gods and god god um and of course the lord's going to win cuz the rest of them are not gods and anyway it was just like that's what they're trying to show here okay and then verse 10 and moses said unto the lord o oh my lord i am not eloquent neither here heretofore nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant but i am slow of speech and of a slow tongue now i'm just frado Flora's taking a nap, finally. Um, I was going to say, like, this, for Moses to be able to say this about himself um, would have meant that he for real was, because he was a general, you know? I mean, he had to talk to people, and, or I guess, supposedly, he was a general, and he had to talk to people, and he had to lead an army, and he led the Egyptian army for that matter, like, and so it wasn't that he didn't know how to talk. He probably just didn't know how to talk in, um, you know how like when we want to invite friends to things, we can invite them to anything, right? But then when the Lord is talking to us about telling us to minister to people and talk about Jesus, we're like, what? We don't know how to talk about Jesus. So I think it wasn't necessarily specific to knowing how to talk to people, but I think he was probably more, and this is just me guessing, right? Um, It was probably more Moses thinking, I don't know how to talk to people about you. 
you know, like that's weird. People talk about Egyptian gods all the time and, and that's what he was used to, but he was never used to talking about the Lord God. He was never used to talking about him nor the gospel. And so he was probably just wondering like, how am I going to talk about you with power and with strength, you know? And like, I think that we can all kind of relate, you know, because I mean, maybe some people can't because some people are really good. Excuse me. at talking about the Lord, but when I feel like when we're little, it's easy for us to talk about the Holy Ghost and Jesus Christ and Heavenly Father, right? Super easy. But then as the world, as we're, as we continue to live in the world and we notice that people aren't talking about them as much, we don't talk about them either. In fact, the only way that they're talked about is when they get their name taken in vain. And then we're like, oh no, you're not supposed to do that. But then if if the only time we talk about them is when we take the Lord's name in vain, then that's sad. And then, and then when they, when we take the Lord's name in vain, we tell them to not take the Lord's name in vain. Well, then now we really aren't listening to them or talking about him. Um, so how it just kind of goes like Satan's just trying to do away with us talking about the Lord or heavenly father or the Holy Ghost at all. And so that we feel awkward when we're talking about gospel-related things. And, like, I was called church lady in high school. But by the end of high school, I was not being called church lady anymore. And by, like, when I would go to work or things like that, I was never called church lady there. So, you know, um, I think we just kind of change and morph and things that were we were blessed to have became lucky right oh we're not blessed now we're just lucky you're so lucky you know and and we kind of erase the lord from our lives without realizing it maybe and then we wonder why our testimony is struggling or we wonder why we don't have a stronger testimony Um, because we're too ashamed to talk about Jesus Christ. And when we are ashamed to talk about Jesus Christ, we won't talk about him as much. And therefore he goes away, but he has commanded us to remember him always. And in order to remember him always, we need to talk about him, think about him, do things that he would do, you know, all the things so that we can always remember him and maybe listen to people talking about him, you know, general conference or the podcast we listen to, things like that. So we can be reminded of who he is. And so, yeah, Moses felt uncomfortable for sure. Um, And it makes sense because his family was Egyptian and they never worshiped Jesus Christ. And the only time that he was, you know, able to get that that preaching was from his mom who nursed him, you know? And so most likely he did know the stories, but also, you know, he's surrounded by Egyptians who don't talk about Jesus Christ and who only talk about their, um, the gods that they have. So anyway, so then we have verse 11 and the Lord said unto him, 
who hath made man's mouth or who maketh the dumb or deaf or the seeing or the blind have not I the Lord now therefore go and I will be with thy mouth and teach thee what thou shalt say and he said O my Lord send I pray thee by the hand of him whom thou wilt send so poor Moses you know like he really just couldn't do it he was like dude you know I like I get you um but the Lord was trying to comfort him like hey you know what who made you because I did and are you trying to say that I am not capable of making something work when I want it to work you know um and so then of course he's trying like the Lord's just trying to trying to encourage him and comfort him but nope Moses didn't have it so he's like no please I pray send somebody send somebody else you know so this was um so then this is a commentary this was a the great Moses who has been honored by billions for thousands of years but Moses saw his inadequacies and did not feel worthy of this task to the Lord Moses pleaded um and then the Lord answered to Moses in the same answer to us when we are called to do something bigger than we think falls on within our current capacity who hath made man's mouth so um there's a quote by president gordon b hingley he says it is not always easy to be obedient to the voice of the lord we may feel inadequate i frequently draw comfort from the conversation moses had with jehovah who called him to lead the is to lead israel out of egypt moses was a figure fugitive and a herder of sheep how totally inadequate he must have felt in 1837 when the church was struggling in kirtland ohio the prophet joseph smith called heber c kimball to go to england to open the work there but brother kimball exclaimed in self-humiliation in yeah in self-humiliation oh lord i am a man of stammering tongue and altogether unfit for such a work how can i go to preach in that land which is so famed throughout Christendom for learning knowledge and piety and to the people whose intelligence is proverbial. But then on reflection, he added, however, all these considerations did not deter me from the path of duty. The moment I understood the will of my heavenly father, I felt a determination to go at all hazards, believing that he would support me by his almighty power and endow me with every qualification that I needed, and although my family was dear to me and I should have to leave them almost destitute, I felt that the cause of the truth, the gospel of Christ, outweighed every other consideration. Orson F. Whitney, Life of Heber C. Kimball, quoted by President W. Er, President Gordon B. Hinckley, October 1971 General Conference. Okay, so in verse 13... Um, Moses is like, please just send somebody, right? And then verse 14, it says, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. <laughs> right? Like, he's just mad. Like, what? You're telling me that you can't do something I just asked you to do, even though I'm telling you I'm going to be with you? Okay. Makes sense. And he said, it's not, is not Aaron the Levite thy brother? I know that he can speak well. And also behold, he cometh forth to meet thee, and when he seeth thee, he will be glad in his heart. 
And thou shalt speak unto him, and put words in his mouth, and I will be thy mouth, and with his mouth, and will teach you what ye shall do. And he shall be thy spokesman unto the people, and he shall be, even he shall be to thee instead of a mouth, and thou shalt be to him instead of God. And thou shalt take this rod in thine hand, wherewith thou shalt do signs. Okay. So it says, Moses' response of send by whom thou wilt send is like him saying, send someone better than me. <laughs> See, I, I figured that. Or more fit for the task, as if Moses' insecurities were wiser than the Lord's judgment on who to call. And the anger of the Lord was kindled. And so the Lord then asked, is not Aaron the Levite thy brother? I know that he can speak well. It was Moses who was being called, not Aaron. Aaron can stand by Moses and be his spokesman, but it was Moses the Lord was calling, and Aaron can only say what Moses tells him to say. So then in verse 18, And Moses went and returned to Jethro his father-in-law and said unto him, Let me go, I pray thee, and return unto my brethren which are in Egypt, and see whether they be yet alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. And the Lord said unto Moses in Midian, Go return into Egypt, for all the men are dead which sought thy life. And Moses took his wife and his sons and set them upon an ass, and he returned to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the rod of God in his hand. And the Lord said unto Moses, When thou goest to return into Egypt, see that thou do all those wonders before Pharaoh, which I have put in thine hand. But I will harden his heart that he shall not let the people go. So in the Joseph Smith translation, um, it shows that it's not the God hardened Pharaoh's heart, but that Pharaoh hardened, will harden his own heart. But there are peeps that believe that, like there's other faiths that believe that God uh, controls everything and that we don't necessarily even have agency like god knows that that he or god's gonna make me mad at this because he knew it was gonna happen and so like anyways like they they believe that they don't think that we have any agency at all but obviously we know and we believe that god has given each of us agency um and that god knows the outcomes that could happen based on what we've previously done and based on who we are, but not because we don't have our free agency, right? Um, okay, and then in verse 22, And thou shalt say unto Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord, Israel is my son, even my firstborn. And I say unto thee, Let my son go, that he may serve me. And if thou refuse to let him go, behold, I will slay thy son, even thy firstborn. Wow, super harsh. So um, here we go. So in the commentary, it says Moses had accepted among or Moses had been accepted among the Midianites. So he would need permission to leave, which he appropriately asked for in verse 18. Moses then took his wife and his sons. Notice he he has multiple multiple sons now and went to Egypt. And imagine what must have been going through Moses' mind during every step of the journey towards Egypt. He knew that he, would <clears throat> that he would be performing wonders before Pharaoh, but Pharaoh will harden his heart and will not let this, the people go. 
So the Lord gave Moses the words which he should say. In these verses, the Lord calls Israel my son, even my firstborn. The entire nation of Israel was the birthright son to the Lord. And this son carried great responsibility. Right away, the Lord wants the Pharaoh warned that not letting his son go will have great consequences, even the slaying of thy firstborn. Dude, and it's intense because, you know, right there is like, it's not cool. <laughs> but like, obviously for the Lord, now this is, if this might be a little insensitive, right? But technically the Lord is just moving one person from one realm to the next, right? One that has, you know, one that's living here on earth to another realm, heaven, you know, or whatever. And so for the Lord to be like, I'm going to slay your son, it's really only dramatic for us, but not necessarily <laughs> for the Lord, right? Because the Lord's like, he's he's going to continue. To, her son is going to still continue to progress and grow in the Lord, not necessarily with Pharaoh as his dad, though. But it's super dramatic to us because we don't, we can't see that far into the future. We can't see the eternity. We can't even see what, how, what kind of spirits we were before we became um, human. And so we don't have those memories because so, of the veil. And so to us, it's more dramatic. So when the Lord says that kind of stuff, it's like, dude, you don't want to mess Okay, because I can take something away that matters to you. Because really, he's not taking away anything from his... He's not taking any way, anything away from Pharaoh's son himself. He's just taking away the opportunity for Pharaoh to raise him in this life, right? Um, and we've also been promised that we can raise our kids in the next life if they, if they pass um, while they're young here. So... So really, he's just moving the being able to raise him now to, to a little bit later. Um, but still, okay, still kind of intense, of course. Okay, and then there's a jo the Joseph Smith translation uh, appendix fills in verse 24 to 27 here. And it says, And it came to pass by the way in the inn that the Lord met him and sought to kill him that Zipporah took a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son and cast it at his feet and said, Surely a bloody husband art thou to me. So he let him go. Then she said, A bloody husband thou art because of the circumcision. And the Lord said to Aaron, Go into the wilderness to meet Moses. And he went and met him in the mount of God and kissed him. So these are the the strange verses and the Joseph Smith translation gives some insight into the meaning of them. Um, so I'm going to read those. Okay. So here it, we are in the Joseph Smith translation and for Exodus chapter four, it says the Lord is not responsible for Pharaoh's hardness of heart. Um, and then you, th then a bunch of scripture references, each reference when correctly translated shows that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. Okay, and then 21, the Lord said unto Moses, when thou goest to return into Egypt, see that thou do all those wonders before Pharaoh, which I have put in thine hand, and I will prosper thee, but Pharaoh will harden his heart, and he will not let the people go. So you see how it kind of changed a little bit? Okay, and then we have this second 
Joseph Smith translation, it says, when the Lord threatens to kill Moses for not circumcising his son, Zipporah saves his life by performing the ordinance herself. Moses confesses his sin. That's interesting. I didn't know that's what was going on there. Okay. And it, so then 24, and it came to pass that the Lord appeared unto him as he was in the way by the inn. The Lord was angry with Moses and his hand was about to fall upon him to kill him for he had not circumcised his son. Oh, that's why. Then Zipporah took a sharp stone and circumcised her son and cast the stone at his feet and said, surely thou art a bloody husband unto me. And the Lord spared Moses and let him go because Zipporah, his wife, circumcised the child. And she said, thou art a bloody husband. And Moses was ashamed and hid his face from the Lord and said, I have sinned before the Lord. And the Lord said unto Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. And he went and met him in the Mount of God, in the Mount where God appeared unto him and Aaron. Wait, in the Mount where God appeared unto him and Aaron kissed him. Okay, so I love this story that I didn't know existed about Zipporah, who was like, what? You haven't circumcised our son yet? Let's do it. And so she takes matters into her own hand because Moses hadn't done it yet. And she does it. And, you know, something that I love about that is sometimes us as wives, we wait for our husbands to do things like we wait to have family meaning or we wait to have family prayer. Or we wait to do scripture study because we think that only our husbands can initiate those things. And while it would be awesome if they did, because yes, that is what presiding can include. It also means that it's okay for us to do it because guess what? We are the nurturers of our family and We need to nurture their little seeds of faith. And those are the steps that we need to take to nurture our families. So if our husbands are a little slow at taking our hints with having having to initiate those things, it's okay for us to take charge and be like, hey, you know, I was thinking about, um, you know, doing this scripture study tomorrow morning. You know, can you be here at that time? You know, and it's okay for the the wife to say something like that to the husband and and yeah it's not that she's trying to step on anyone's toes or she's trying to have authority over somebody or something else you know it's not about that it's just she's trying to take care of the family because she's feeling like she needs to make sure that those little faith seeds get nurtured and the same with the husband like if he initiates it It's not because the wife is not doing a good job nurturing, but it's because he is able to preside over the spiritual welfare of his children and can also make those decisions. So it's both ways. Like everybody should be able to initiate um, those things for the family. So I love that Zipporah was like, fine, you don't want to do it or you haven't done it. It's cool. I got this, you know. And yeah, she does kind of put it on him like, like you didn't do this. And (laughs) so then Moses kind of gets a little bit ashamed for sure. Because I'm sure she didn't want to do it, but she just knew that it needed to be done. And she's like, you know, it just needs to be done. And maybe Moses didn't want to do that because it's a little baby, you know. Or 
like maybe he had never really seen it done. So he was a little unsure of how to do it. I don't know. I'm just guessing here, you know, but yeah, he probably did feel bad because it was his responsibility to do it. And so I like that she took charge and just like, was like, no big deal. I got it. Let's keep moving, you know? Um, so that's what we can do as wives. We can, you know, make those righteous choices when those righteous choices need to be made. And we can take those matters into our own hands. And we can schedule temple appointments <laughs> and include our hubby just in case he wants to come. And that's okay, right? Because um, we're just, we're all in it together as a family. And it's okay to help somebody else out when they're not able to do something um, or they're unsure or things like that. Um because we're trying to get there together, right? No empty rooms on the ark. <laughs> okay. Um, so then here we go. These are strange verses. That, and so luckily we did have that Joseph Smith translation because it really helps. And it appears that Moses had forgotten to have his son circumcised. Some scholars suggest that Moses and Zipporah had a newborn son. The Lord makes clear that these rituals and tokens are important to him and not to be ignored. Moses was going to be a leader to the Israelites and he was learning that these things matter. Imagine how many times this event would have gone through his mind and as he led the Israelites in the wilderness and introduced the law of Moses to them, a law full of ceremonies, rituals, and symbols that needed to be done with exactness. It's true. And Zipporah knew that she needed to take care of this for him and I bet. It was awesome, you know, that she was able to kind of fill in. Okay, now we're reading verse 28. And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord who had sent him and all the signs which he had commanded them, which he had commanded him. And Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the children of Israel. And Aaron spake all the words which the Lord had spoken unto Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed, and when they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel and that he had looked upon their affliction, then they bowed their heads and worshipped. Okay, and then some commentary. Moses was now with his brother Aaron, and Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord. They began by gathering the elders of Israel, and Aaron used his gift and spake all the words which the Lord had spoken unto Moses. And the miracles were performed before them, and the people believed, and they bowed their heads and worshiped. Imagine how they must have felt to know that deliverance was close. Dude, also, I like the movie. <laughs> it like, and here's what's funny. Like, I should probably read the scriptures before I watch the movie. And I would love for the boys to like read these scriptures before we watch the movie too. But <gasps> like the movie s stretches everything out, you know, like, it like spreads everything out. Like I didn't even know that the Lord said that if you're not going to let him go, then I'm going to take your son, you know, and like so early in the story. That's <laughs> what happens when you watch movies. They change things, you know. Okay, and then Exodus 5. So let's go to that. Mm. says, Moses and Aaron ask Pharaoh to free Israel. Pharaoh responds, who is the Lord? He places greater burdens upon the children of Israel. Okay, and verse one. So this is the first time to Pharaoh. Oh, okay, so yes. So it is going to get played out throughout stuff. Okay, 
there you go. That's good because I was like, really? That's it? That It's like over? Okay. So the first time. And afterward, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast unto me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. And they said, The God of the Hebrews hath met with us. Let us go, we pray thee, three days' journey into the desert, and sacrifice unto our Lord, to the, unto the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with, pers- with pestilence or with the sword. And the king of Egypt said unto them, Wherefore do ye, Moses and Aaron, let the people, wait, and the king of Egypt said unto them, Wherefore do ye, Moses and Aaron, let the people from their works get you unto your burdens? And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land now are many, and ye make them rest from their burdens. And Pharaoh commanded the same day the taskmasters of the people and that their and their officers saying ye shall no more give the people straw to make brick as there as heretofore let them go and gather straw for themselves and the tale of the bricks which they did make herefore ye shall lay upon them he shall not diminish aught thereof for they be idle therefore they they cry saying let us go and sacrifice to our god let their more work be laid upon the men that they may labor therein, and let them not regard vain words. And the taskmasters of the people went out, and their officers, and they spake to the people, saying, Thus saith Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go ye, get you straw where you can find it, yet not aught of your work shall shall be diminished. Okay. And the people, okay, let's see. So it says, Moses and Aaron let then go into the Pharaoh. Notice the way they made the request in verse one. They identified that this was a command from the Lord of Israel and that they wanted to go into the wilderness so that they could hold a feast in the wilderness. Egyptian beliefs were different than the Hebrew beliefs and the Hebrews desired to leave so they could freely exercise their religion. Pharaoh responded with, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? Egyptians are accepting of nations having their own gods but the pharaoh did not feel like he needed to answer to their god <clears throat> which you know i guess that makes sense you know if somebody were to come up to us and say my god said that you need to do this i probably wouldn't meet them with you know very much willingness to do what they want me to do <laughs> So, I mean, I can kind of see that that might rub them the wrong way. Okay, and then we have Pharaoh responded. Oh, yeah. Okay, Moses and Aaron explained that Jehovah himself had made the request and they must obey. <sighs> but Pharaoh did not reply to this and just told the Israelites to go you unto your bur- burdens, meaning get back to work. It would be easy to imagine that Moses and Aaron's message would have been filling the Israelites with hope and emboldenment, emboldening them. Pharaoh seeks to regain control by making their burdens even heavier than before. Many of the buildings in Egypt were made with brick and had, that had straw in them. Now they must gather the straw themselves. The Pharaoh's intent was so that the request to leave would not be made again. Okay, so... But here's what's interesting, like, 
I like how talking scripture talks about like, look, they weren't even asking to leave for good. They just were like, can we leave for three days and come back? Like that was it. And, you know, something that we definitely see in the culture now is that for sure we need to rest in order to be good employees, right? Like they used to not give breaks and not do those kinds of things. And then people were not having, um, not experiencing, you know, not being a good employee. But then now a days they promote rest, um, in the work field. And some of them include like gym memberships or, um, meditation, um, memberships or different, different things like that, or different kinds of breaks. Like there, um, I know when dad and I used to work at Doba together, they had a ping pong table there that you could play ping pong or they had a basketball court. And so they like promoted breaks and rest because studies show that when you break you or when you have breaks and you rest, you become a better employee. So they're trying to promote that kind of environment, um, to help employees but it looks like pharaoh didn't quite believe in that and he was like um if you have time to rest you have you're not working hard enough and in talking scripture it was funny because he's like how many times do you sit down and pharaoh yourself like you sit down to take a break and then you're like if i have time to take a break then you have too much time on your hands and you just need to get back to work because you have too many things to do And it's so true. Like somehow that culture has like when we were younger, it was the same thing. You know, if we ever wanted to take a break, I couldn't even. So like I had this job where I it was priority communications. It's a pager place, a communications company that provided service for beepers, pagers. And anyway, I was like so fast at customer service, like, of course, right? Because that's your mom. And I, I could do my job so good after I got, like after I learned it. And um, I'd take phone calls. I was super friendly, okay? Nobody ever complained about me. In fact, I got really good reviews from my clients that would call me. Anyway, so... What was kind of funny, though, was I would bring a magazine with me. Um, I guess they had magazines. Maybe it wasn't mine because I don't think I paid for magazines. But anyway, um, they had magazines and I would look through the magazines between phone calls. And soon they didn't like me doing that. They were like, you can't look through magazines at work while you're working. And I'm like, well, I'm done with all the assignments that you've given me and I'm currently on the phone to accept phone calls and I'll be ready to go, you know? And they're like, sorry, no, you're... So I got in trouble for looking at magazines for taking breaks between my phone calls because I was too good at my job. And so if I was sitting there reading a magazine, I was wasting time. And so then they started giving me other assignments and you know... I don't mind like other work. Like I would, I like, that's great. Like if you can keep me busy with your work that you want me to do, I get that. Like I want to pay employees for their time because they're working on things that move my needle forward for my business. And so that makes complete sense to me. However, they didn't track, they didn't do anything to 
track things for me. They didn't track my performance. They didn't track things aside from how much time I had free. They didn't track how good I was at my job and they didn't track how much hold time their customers had. Well, something that I noticed was people would be waiting longer on holds because why? Because now I had other stuff to do instead of helping them because I was fast. The other ladies, they were slow at their job and they thought that that was called customer service. Like if they took longer on their phone call, that was supposed to be good. And I'm like, that's not good. If you're taking, if you're wasting people's time to do a simple task, that is not called customer service. That's called wasting time. (laughs) And so I was just like, so floored. Anyway, so yeah, they ended up with people on hold a a lot longer because now they were giving me assignments to do other things and I couldn't get, I couldn't jump on the phone as much. And so like, sometimes I'd be telling my boss, like, can I, can I jump on the phones to like do something? And they're like, no, it's okay. We got it. And I'm like, yeah, but you don't got it because there's people in the queue waiting, you know? And so anyways, it was so messed up. And So I was like, you know what? I don't have to work here anymore. And because they didn't appreciate how fast I was. And so I decided that I wasn't going to work there anymore. And after I I stopped working there, um, I think that's when I went to work at Kinko's. I think that's when I started working there. But anyway, that was was just so crazy and eye-opening to me. I'm like, what? You want me to take longer on a phone call instead of being quick? And so, yeah, like just because they wanted to create more work for me to do. And so, yeah, I'm guessing that those uh, Egyptian um, pyramids didn't come, weren't being created faster for them, guaranteed. I bet they were getting slower and I bet it was harder to do even the work that they had been asked to do, even though they were like, you can't slow down. You have to go get your own straw, but you got to keep doing the same work. Well, that's not really how it works, guy, Pharaoh. Um, okay. So yeah, don't Pharaoh yourself and get the rest that you need to be a functioning, healthy human. Um, because if the Lord can create an entire, planet earth you know in six days and dedicate a seventh of his time to resting we can do the same thing you can break down your 24 hours into seven and that's how much rest you need so let me calculate that for you here so 24 divided by seven is 3.42 so take 3.42 hours at least per day to rest your mind, your body, your spirit. And I'm not talking about even sleeping. Okay. So maybe we should take those out. So, okay. So 24 divided or 24 minus the awake hours. So they say you're supposed to get eight hours. I'm going to say seven. Okay. So 17 hours divided by seven. Okay. So out of your, let's do 16 divided by seven because some people really want eight hours. So take 2.28 hours from your day and rest your body and your mind and your spirit because yes sleeping counts as resting but that's resting like your whole self and so um I think that's different than 
actually resting from your labors because you're only laboring when you're awake. And so (laughs) rest while you're awake. Um, Anyway, and that's perfect because we actually got to go to the temple, um, your dad and I, this morning. So that was nice. And that helps us to connect with heaven and connect with Christ. And that gives us rest from our regular work um, and helps rejuvenate our spirit. And so it's like we're resting, you know... Oh, there's an almond. You know how you rest you rest in the Lord? Yeah, we were re- we got to rest in the Lord this morning. And it was really good rest cuz your dad had like a migraine and he said it got a little bit better and then with food it helped also. So, he's not as bad as it was, but still like we need to continue to rest ourselves. So, remember 2.28 hours. And that would be about two hours and 20 minutes, maybe, you know, or maybe like round it up two hours and 30 minutes. No, because that would be 2.5. So maybe two hours and 15 minutes. If you could rest and do some self-care for two hours and 15 minutes throughout your day, you'd be really better off. And you would be able to handle all the things, you know, and I think everybody's different also. So who knows, you might require a little bit more rest than somebody else and somebody else might require a little bit more work than somebody else. Um, So it just depends. You got to find your sweet spot, right? If you're getting sick a lot, that might mean that you need to rest more. And so many things there's like, go Google it anyway. So if the Lord can rest and he is God then you can rest because that's the pattern we want to follow. So don't Pharaoh yourself. That's what I love about that, about that podcast. Okay. Verse 12. So the people were scattered abroad throughout all the land of Egypt to gather subtle stubble instead of straw. And the taskmasters hastened them saying, fulfill your works, your daily tasks as when there was straw. Yeah. Well, good luck with that. We got so much research about that. Uh, um, And the taskmasters hasted them saying, fulfill. Oh, just kidding. I just said that. And the officers of the children of Israel, which Pharaoh's taskmasters, taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and demanded. Wherefore, have ye not fulfilled your task in making brick both yesterday and today as heretofore? Then... The officers of the children of Israel come and cried unto Pharaoh, saying, Wherefore dealest thou thus with thy servants? There is no straw given unto thy servants, and they say to us, Make brick, and behold, thy servants are beaten, but the fault is in thine own people. But he said, Ye are idle, ye are idle. Therefore ye say, Let us go and do sacrifice to the Lord. Go therefore now and work, for there shall no straw be given you, yet shall ye deliver the table of bricks. And the officers of the children of Israel did see that they were an in evil cat case. Mm. Let's read that again. And the officers of the children of Israel did see that they were in evil case after it was said, ye shall not minish aught from your bricks of your daily task. Okay. So then with at the added burden of getting their own straw, the Israelites then struggled to complete their daily requirements, of course. Um, and then we see Israelites going all over Egypt in order to get the straw they needed. And then in verses 13 and 14, we see that the taskmasters beating the Israelites for not completing the required amount of work. The officers or leaders among the Israelites then appealed to the 
to the pharaoh and expressed that the new tasks put upon them was impossible one and therefore the beating they were enduring was really to be blamed upon the egyptians impossible expectations the pharaoh's response was cruel you are idle you are idle the pharaoh then used their idleness as a reason they were as a reason that they really were asking to go and do sacrifice to the Lord, or in other words, they just want a vacation. So the Pharaoh rejected all requests. They will not be given straw. They must still deliver the required amount. And above all, they cannot leave to worship their God. So, yeah, that is crazy. So then, of course, Moses, um, here we go, verse 20. And then, and they met Moses and Aaron who stood in the way as they come forth from Pharaoh. And they said unto them, look, look upon you, the judge and judge, because ye have made our savor to be abhorred in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of his servants to put a sword in their hand to slay us. And Moses returned unto the Lord and said, Lord, wherefore hast thou so evil and treated this people? Why is it that thou hast sent me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in thy name, he hath done evil to this people. Neither hast thou delivered thy people at all. So, um, I love this because it just goes to show you like sometimes things get worse before it gets better, right? And this is what Moses was experiencing. Like, why did you even tell me to go ask? Because now they're suffering even more. Like it was better if I hadn't even shown up. And Moses and so then, yeah, so this is the commentary. So it says Moses and Aaron were in the court waiting to hear what the Pharaoh said. And the Hebrew officers then took their anger out upon Moses and Aaron it was their fault that they were in this situation. Imagine how Moses and Aaron felt that knowing that they were there to deliver suffering Israel, but now Israel was suffering even more because of them, right? So Moses then returned to the Lord and we can see how hard this was on him. He wondered why this was happening and he was wondering why he was sent. Moses was still learning to rely completely upon the Lord's promises, even when the path seemed uncertain. And Moses was still becoming the man that will part the Red Sea. So um, that's where the commentary ends. So yeah, I think it's so crazy that sometimes we are to wait upon the Lord. And sometimes things get worse before they do get better. Um, but that the Lord is trying to help them see that the Lord can deliver them through the toughest times. So I don't necessarily think that he just, he was trying to make it worse per se, because it was Pharaoh's choice to build, to put more tasks on them. But technically that just made the Lord's miracle even better, right? Because when somebody else's agency is unleashed upon you, I'll say it that way. Um, and even though we know that the Lord can deliver us, he doesn't because, well, first, like, there's lots of reasons why he doesn't, right? Because then if he just delivered us through all of our afflictions, then we would never actually, like, become stronger ourselves, right? So, I mean, I get that. But then also, we if he delivered us from everyone's um, 
choices in everyone else's agency, then does that actually mean that they have agency? It doesn't, right? It, it almost removes their agency from that because there's no consequences. Um, so anyway, so yeah. So he has to kind of let that go, but he's going to use it to his advantage because later he's going to be able to deliver them for real and it's going to be that much better. Plus, during this affliction that these Israelites are experiencing, we know that they can be made stronger even in the midst of their affliction, right? And only because we've been through that before. That's how we know, right? Like, how do you gain, gain more muscle? Well, you have to undergo a lot more stress, a lot more weight, a lot more, in, like, you have to endure a lot more when you're working out in order for those muscles to grow. And so it's the same. And I like the visual that somebody said, I can't remember. Um, I think it was Carrie Scarda. Dr. Carrie Scarter, she said that the this is the Lord's um, gym. This is like the Lord's fitness center. You know, the whole world. That's what it is. And you come to earth to become stronger. You don't come to earth to have a vacation. Coming to earth was not the vacation part. <laughs> but that it was the work part. The part that builds who you are and helps you become who you need to be for yourself and for the Lord. Um, so I like that. Obviously the Israelites don't like that because they're in the middle of it and nobody wants to be told that this is for your own good when they're in the middle of a trial, right? Like, don't be saying that to people cause that's insensitive and it'll come back to you and you will remember what you said to somebody else. So don't do that. Just be with them, right? When somebody's going through a hard time, just be with them. Just And that's part of our baptismal covenant as well, right? Is to mourn with those that mourn. And the Lord never said, <laughs> bully those that mourn, because that's bad. And he never said anything like, be mean to them or tell them that this is going to pass because... Yes, of course, it's going to pass and we know it's going to pass, but we want it to pass right away. So one of the things that the talking scriptures peeps say, said, I sought God out and my situation got worse. Be of good comfort. Blessings come, but it takes time. And I like that that's part of the Abrahamic covenant. Like when we covenant to be, um, when we covenant to take the Lord's name upon us, when we covenant to be part of his family, part of him when we believe in Jesus Christ, then he promises back to us that he will deliver us from the those who afflict us or our afflictions, right? And from our he'll deliver us from our enemies and take us to the promised land, right? That's that's the promises. And I think that just means in his time, it's going to happen. But we always want it to happen in our time, right? But when I'm just liking it to working out because I just remember all those times being in CrossFit. And you had to wait for the timer to go off before you could stop doing the reps. Now, you can adjust and, you know, you didn't have to do it, of course. Um, 
But if you did, you knew you would get some muscle. So we kept going. And then, sorry, and then you could rest. And like, I always look forward to the rest because that was like, woof, that was so hard. I just needed a rest, you know, and you look forward to that rest time. But then they start the timer back up and you're just like, can we stop the timer? Stop the timer. I just want to be done with this, you know, and it wasn't something that we could, we could, we didn't control the timer. It was not our job. It was our coach's job. And so we just had to do what the coach said so that we could grow and we could become stronger like coach, you know? So anyway, that's the analogy there. Uh, But I, I know that the Lord can strengthen us in our afflictions. I like that they also reminded us that there's Mosiah uh, chapter 24, that it's the same situation, but you get to hear God speaking to the people. Um, and we know that the promise of deliverance comes from the Lord. Um, so my duty in the afflictions prior to the, deli- prior to the deliverance is to submit myself to God and trusting that the deliverance is coming, that he will strengthen me to bear up my burdens with ease. And he gave this example of bone, that bone is alive. And when a bone senses it's under added weight or pressure or stress, then are greater than it's used to carrying, then that bone thickens. And the same thing can happen in our lives. And so like I can, I testify that that is so true. Like in the midst of our afflictions, the Lord will strengthen us. In the midst of my affliction, the Lord strengthened me because I didn't think I could carry it. I didn't think I could handle it. But the Lord can strengthen you because he strengthened me. Okay, so we have... Okay, we're reading Exodus chapter 6 and... We got to see Grandpa Bert yesterday, and that was awesome. Um, we went to Centerville, and we hadn't seen, well, I and the boys and Flora hadn't seen Grandpa for a while because they were not allowing kids as visitors um, in the hospital. So after his heart attack, it was just Dad going to visit Grandpa Bert. Um and but now we were able to but yesterday we were able to see him and it was so good to see him because he looked like he was doing really good um so so yeah we are so grateful for for his being alive still okay um let's see where am i at here here we go All right, chapter six, the Lord identifies himself as Jehovah. The genealogies of Reuben, Simeon, and Levi are listed. Okay, then the Lord said unto Moses, Now shalt thou see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand shall he let them go, and with a strong hand shall he drive them out of his land. And God spake unto Moses and said unto him, 
I am the Lord, and I appeared unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob by the name of God Almighty. But by my name, Jehovah, was I not known to them. And I have also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage, wherein they were strangers. And I have also heard the groaning of the children of Israel, whom the Egyptians keep in bondage. And I have remembered my covenant. Wherefore, I say unto the children of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will rid you out of their bondage, and I will redeem you and with a stretched out arm and with great judgments. And I will take you to me for a people, and I will be to you a God, and ye shall know that I am the Lord your God, which bringeth you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. And I will bring you in unto the land concerning the, the which I did swear to give it to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and I will give it to you, and I will give it you for an inheritance. I am the Lord. Okay, so I really like I really like these scriptures about the Lord showing up for the people of Israel to to deliver them because um when I was listening to Don't Miss This, they talked about the word I am, or I guess I should say the words I am. Um, and I wanted to read them to you. Let's see if I remember. Okay, it, they said, I am equals the God that will be whatever tomorrow demands. Um, and I was just like, oh, I didn't realize that that was a definition of I am. Um but I like that they said that that means that he will be whatever we need anytime we need him. And that also means that we don't have to live in fear today because whatever tomorrow brings, he will be there for us and help us. And yeah, really like that. And then um, also we went to the Linden Temple Fireside on Saturday and it's they haven't done the groundbreaking yet. It's going to be in about a month. But they wanted to do a special fireside for the youth. And it was cool. We got to all go to the Linden Temple site. And they have the site, like, basically taped off. Um, and our whole family got to go uh, because I didn't just want to drop off Finn. <laughs> I wanted to go, too. Because it's a temple. And I love temple things. So I got to go. And Flora got to go. And Fausty got to go. And um, and Faust and Finn got to get a piece of dirt. And it's called... What is it? What was it called? Sacred Soil. Anyway. It was really cool. They talked about being all in. And giving it giving our best and being all in into the temple and being all in for the Lord and going off into the to the temple. Okay, back to Exodus here. Um, okay, so some commentary says the last words Moses had spoken to the Lord were For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in thy name, he hath done evil to this people, neither hast thou delivered thy people at all. So like you didn't even help them at all. <laughs> Like, I went and did what you said, and um, 
poor Moses, you know, he, he's just learning about the ways of the Lord. And right now he was very frustrated and sad, I bet, for what he had just experienced. But, you know, waiting on the Lord, it takes time. Okay, so the Lord had a plan. Even Moses did not yet comprehend it. The Lord was not just delivering his people, but he was also going to show them that it was the Lord alone who delivered them. Their faith will grow because of what they will witness. The Lord declared that the miracles were about to happen. It was about to begin. Then the Lord reminded Moses of many critical truths to remember. He is the Lord. He is the same Lord who appeared to Moses' fathers. He has established his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He promised them the land of promise, and he always fulfills his promises. Therefore, Israel must be released from Egypt, or as the Lord put it, I will redeem you with a stretched out arm. The word redeem means to resume a claim or to reclaim. The Lord has chosen Israel and will reclaim them. President Joseph F. Smith used verse 6 to teach that even though the early saints in the dispensation were chased out of Jackson County, it will be reclaimed. Notice how he taught in the below quote that the saints will experience hardship and they will see the glory of their deliverance. And as you read this quote, consider the same the this consider that some of these teachings could be literal or symbolic. When studying prophecy, it is always safest to keep an open mind and realize that if we assume something is literal, we may miss what is being taught. He said, Now it is quite possible that the Lord will raise up somebody in the future who will be powerful and mighty to lead the people to rebuild the waste places of zion but when he does the power of god which has been manifested in leading in the leading of this people to the past will not be forgotten nor despised but will be more apparent to future generations than to this and will be regarded quite as remarkable and as wonderful as anything that will occur in the future to them that participate in the scene when God leads the people back to Jackson County, how will he do it? Let me picture to you how some of us may be gathered and led to Jackson County. I think I see two or 300,000 people wending their way across the Great Plain, enduring the nameless hardships of the journey, herding and guarding their cattle by day and by night, and defending themselves and little ones from foes on the right hand and on the left, and when they, and when they came here as when they came here, they will find the journey back to Jackson County will be as real as when they came out here. Now mark it. And though you may be led by the power of God with a stretched out arm, it will be not, wait, it will not be more manifest than the leading the people out here to those that participate in it. They will think there are a great many hardships to endure in this manifestation of the power of God, and it will be left perhaps to their children to see the glory of their deliverance, just as it is left for us to see the glory of our former deliverance from the hands of those that sought to destroy us. That's from President Joseph Fielding Smith, Journal of Discourses 24. Okay, we're going to read verse 9. And Moses spake unto spake so unto the children of Israel. But they hearkened not unto Moses for anguish of spirit and for cruel bondage. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Go in, speak unto Pharaoh, king of Egypt, that he let the children of Israel go out of this out of his land. 
And Moses spake before the Lord, saying, Behold, the children of Israel have not hearkened unto me. How then shall Pharaoh hear me, who am, who am of uncircumcised lips? <clears throat> and the Lord spake unto Moses and unto Aaron, and gave them a charge unto the children of Israel, and unto Pharaoh king of Egypt, to bring the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. So Moses is like, dude, the children of Israel are not listening to me. So what makes you think Pharaoh is going to listen to me? Now, remember, he remembers how Pharaoh is and how he is like the ultimate supreme person because people in Egypt believe that he is basically like a god, but in physical presence. And so, you know, if you can't get mere mortals quote unquote, to listen to Moses, then how's he going to get Pharaoh to listen to him? And obviously it's not that he believes that Pharaoh is that, but that Pharaoh believes that he's that (laughs) and that the people of Egypt believe that Pharaoh is that. So, um, sometimes, sometimes we think the same way, like we can't do that. We're not, we're not, cool enough and we're not better than somebody else and we're not you know but it's not about who we are or who other people are it's about who the lord is and that is what the lord is trying to convey to him like it doesn't matter who you think so and so is or who he thinks he is or who anybody thinks they are but it's about who i actually am right the i am and so um we're gonna keep reading verse 14 says, these be the heads of their father's houses, the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, Hanuk and Palu, Hezron and Carmi, these be the families of Reuben, and the sons of Simeon, Jewel and Jamin and Ohad and Jachin and Zoar and Shal, the son of a Canaanitish woman, these are the families of Simeon. And these are the names of the sons of Levi, according to their generations, Jershon and Kohath and Merari. And the years of the life of Levi were 137 years. Wow, he lived a long life. The sons of Jershon, Libni and Shimi, according to their families. And the sons of Kohath, Amram and Izar and Hebron and Uzeel. And the years of the life of Kohath were 133 years. And the sons of Merari, Mahali, and Mushi, these are the families of Levi, according to their generations. And Amram took him, Jacobed, his father's sister, to wife, jo- Jochebed, sorry. Um, and she bare him Aaron and Moses, and the years of the life of Amram were in hundred and thirty and seven years. And the sons of Iz- Izar, Zorah, and Nepheg, and Zikari, the sons of Uziel, Mishael, and Ilzaphan, and Zithri, and Aaron took him, Elsheba, daughter of Aminadab, sister of Nashon, to wife, and she bare him Nadab, and Abihu, Elazar, and Ithamar, and the sons of Korah, and Asir, and Elkanah and Abiasaf. Abiasaf? Wow. These are the families of the Korites. Korites. 
And Eleazar, Aaron's son, took him, one of the daughters of Putiel, to wife. And she bare him, Phineas. Ah, finally. These are the heads of the fathers of the Levites, according to their families. And these are, are that Aaron and Moses, to whom the Lord said, Bring out of the children of Israel from the land of Egypt, according to their armies. These are they which spake to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring, out of the chil- to bring out the children of Israel from Egypt. These are that Moses and Aaron. Okay, so you might be like, what? Why is everybody listed? Um, well, for me, I think it's great that the Lord is telling him all the names of the families. And the Lord pronounced those names correctly, of course. (laughs) And um, I just think it's cool that the Lord wanted to point people out by name to help Moses know like, hey, I know them and I know you and I'm trying to help them. Are you okay, May? Ouch. She just bonked her head. Ouch. Oh, you guys have scriptures? You're just going to read too? Okay, you go ahead, Mace. Yorko Flores. Okay. Um, and I think, I think it's beautiful that the Lord knows all these names. I am grateful that the women are not mentioned. <laughs> Who knows what those names would have been like for me to pronounce. Obviously, we know that the Lord loves the women and that the children could not be born without women but i'm kind of grateful that they're not included uh and that it it would just literally make the whole all the scriptures so much so much bigger and anyway so we have some commentary here um about this genealogy it says this is a genealogy that shows families within the israelites or a collection of families with a head or chief This genealogy shows that Moses and Aaron were part of the house of Israel through the tribe of Levi. After identifying Aaron and Moses' heritage, the scriptures state, These are that Aaron and Moses, to whom the Lord said, Bring out the children of Israel from the land of Egypt, according to their armies or with great power and order. So I think that's cool that the Lord was trying to show them how they were, how Moses and Aaron were related to all the tribe of, to the tribes of Israel. And... Because sometimes you don't, you need to know why, right? Why are you doing these things? And I think that helps. I think that helps with the why. And okay, we're gonna read for verses twenty eight to thirty. And it came to pass on the day when the Lord spake unto Moses in the land of Egypt that the Lord spake unto Moses saying, I am the Lord. Speak thou unto Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say unto thee. And there's a Joseph Smith translation here. So I will read that piece. So it says, and verse 30, and Moses said before the Lord, behold, I am of uncircumcised lips and how shall Pharaoh hearken unto me? But uncircumcised lips just means of stammering lips and slow speech. So remember, Moses is still like bringing up the fact that he's not good at speaking to the Lord. And obviously the Lord knows how he feels about that. So it's funny that he would even bring it back up because the Lord's like trying to prove to him like, listen, you don't have to be fancy. You don't have to do all these things. I'm the one who's going to do all the work. But then he's still bringing it up. And sometimes we do the same thing, right? 
where we're like, really, are you sure though? I don't know. I, I feel like I'm not that good. I can't do this. I'm not good enough or, you know, I don't know enough or whatever it is. And so I think it's, I think it's a good example of what, how insecure we might be. Um, I did like the comparison of being able to see within a prophet's heart and because Moses is really vulnerable with, with us here, where he is kind of showing us, um, all the things that he was struggling with and his insecurities. Um, but sometimes we don't get that in the scriptures. And so it is kind of fun to see, um, that Moses is just like us, you know, and has insecurities and has weaknesses. And, and I also love that he questions the Lord, you know, he's not just going and doing, he's not a robot. You know, a lot of people try and say that members of the church are like robots. We just do what we're told. And that's not true. In fact, so many times when the Lord asks me to do stuff, I'm like, what? you know, are you sure? I don't know about this. And I'm like Moses where I have tons of insecurities and there's a lot of wrestling going on, you know, until finally I can see a little bit of maybe what the Lord is trying to show me and, and help me become. Um, and so then that's when I'm like, you know, I'm fine. I will let you help me and we will do this together. And when I allow him into my life that way, I can do things unimaginable to myself because I didn't believe that they were possible, that I didn't believe that it was possible for me to do those things. And, um, and I love that the come follow me, um, curriculum kind of leaves us hanging there in the middle of like that, in that messy middle where we're just waiting on the Lord to show us to help us understand what he's talking about when he's trying to tell us that he is the Lord and that he will be there for us. And sometimes we need him to show us in a way that will uh, strengthen us or, and sometimes he need, and we need him to show us in a way that is reprimanding. And so hopefully we will uh, do it. Hopefully we will be obedient and not wait for the Lord to show us in whichever way he chooses that we need growth. Because if we wait for him to show us, um, kind of like the way Pharaoh did, we don't want to wait like Pharaoh. If we wait like Pharaoh, then we end up with major consequences. Uh, because if we, are able to act on the that revelation, if we're able to act on those commandments right away, we will uh, save ourselves a lot of suffering. So it is awesome that they left off right there because it's like cliffhanger, you know, you don't know what's going to happen, although everybody knows what's going to happen. Um, but here we go. We're going to read into the next section. So thanks for showing up and I love you and we'll see you soon.